The scripture this morning is found in Matthew chapter 22, so I'd invite you to turn in your Bible to Matthew's Gospel, the 22nd chapter, a powerful parable of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I'll read from verse 1 down through verse 14. Hear God's holy and inspired word. Again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. And then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out to the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw that there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot, and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. May God bless to our hearts this reading of his holy word. Pray with me as we come this morning. Father, we give you praise that you have spoken to us and your word is true. More up to date than the morning newspaper, fresher than the air we breathe, for it is the very words of the living God. And so, Father, I pray that your spirit would now come and speak to us. Teach us, we pray. We thank you for loving us so much that you would even give to us your your very word. So bless, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I appreciate uh, your having me and my wife come to be with you this morning and next week, too. We are... We are happy to be here. We always love to visit uh, Ted and Donna, some of our oldest friends. No, I shouldn't say it that way. Some of our, some of our best friends. And uh, we've known them for many years, and we thank God for them. And also, it's good to have Betsy and Boyd Pastor here this morning. I didn't know they were going to drive down from Satellite Beach, but we spent many good years with them in, in Miami, and our kids grew up together and uh, have many Great memories. Also, so good to see Mrs. Smick. I didn't know she was here 
You know, we, uh, we were in Baltimore for many years, and uh, Reverend Smick was a, was, a, was a tradition in Baltimore, preached the Word of God on Northern Parkway in North Baltimore for many, many years, and uh, praise God for the, the saints that have gone before, that have left a, a strong witness for the Word of God. We thank God uh, uh, for, for them. This parable here in Matthew chapter 22 might be one of the most powerful and dramatic parables that Jesus ever taught. And I know you can't, you can't, uh, all the parables were powerful, all of them were dramatic, all of them were pointed, all of them were God's word penetrating to the deepest recesses of our hearts. But this is a dramatic, as, as you saw when we read it, a dramatic parable, moving, perplexing, Uh, Verse 14, Jesus bluntly answers the why question everyone in this room has asked at some point by saying, many are called, few are chosen. Uh, The mystery of God's sovereign choices, yet the responsibility of man to believe. And that's really what Jesus is aiming at in this parable, what he's talking about. Man's responsibility to believe. The setting is on Wednesday of the last week of Jesus' earthly life. He'll be crucified on Friday, and Sunday, of course, he'll rise from the dead. For the past three years, he's been preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, And now we come to the end, and he's been categorically rejected, at least by the religious leaders of his day. On Friday, he'll be turned over to the Romans uh, for execution. And he spends this last week in the temple courts teaching and crowds are gathering every day as he opens the word of the living God to them. Uh, He's the center of attention. The religious leaders don't like that one bit. He keeps talking about internal righteousness, about salvation from sin. And they are content with their external righteousness, their works righteousness. They have, they have, they have no room for internal righteousness. They, they are concerned about keeping the letter of the law. So he poses a threat to their system. He poses a threat to, to their control. In chapter 21, 23, they confront him by By asking, by what authority do you do these things? By what authority do you say these things? Which is an attempt to put him down in front of the people, to discredit him. He answers them with a a trilogy of parables. If you go back to chapter 21, the first one is in 21-28. The sons whose father asked them to work in the vineyard. You remember that one. And then the second one, the vineyard leased out to the tenant farmers, beginning in verse 33 of chapter 21. And now this is the third one. And I thought it well to concentrate on this one this morning. Each of the the parables is similar uh, in that they are about judgment. And each of them speaks about their rejection of Messiah. In effect, he says, all I have said, all I have done... Uh, validate my claim to be the Messiah, to be the Son of God. He's really telling them consistently for three years you've rejected me, 
And so now God is going to reject you. Powerful message. Scary. They're parables of judgment. And this one, in this one, Jesus presents several themes. If you want to take notes, I've got four major headings. You can jot them down. Number one is the invitation rejected. The invitation rejected. Wedding banquets were very common in ancient Palestine. You remember Jesus' first miracle was performed at, a, at, a, at the wedding of Cana. John chapter 2 tells us about that. Here he compares the kingdom of heaven with a wedding banquet. Just a reminder, a quick reminder about what the kingdom of heaven is. The kingdom of heaven is simply the sphere of God's rule. The place where God's subjects live as a result of having come in faith to Him, to to God, to, to trust Him. The sphere of His rule in their hearts. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's, it's made up of the community of those who come to faith in Jesus Christ, who have repented of their sins, who have trusted Him alone for their salvation and seen their, their sin washed away, forgiven through by the blood of Christ. As many as received Him, He gave authority to become children of God. That's the kingdom of heaven, those who are subject to the king. Wedding banquets in the first century were not one evening affairs as they are here. I heard recently that weddings cost uh, X amount of dollars in certain places in America, and I just couldn't believe it. And they're just, that, that, all those thousands of dollars are just basically for one, one reception, you know, one evening But that's not the way it was in ancient Palestine. People would come for several days and spend days with the bride and groom prior to their official wedding. At the end of which the bride and groom would be officially brought together, united in in matrimony, and then they would go off to consummate the marriage. Here Jesus says it was a king, a king, who prepared a banquet for his son. Think about that. This would be a banquet of banquets. You couldn't top this. Like one of the royal weddings that we now and then see on TV from from the United Kingdom. You know, the royals are, are getting married. That's what this was all about. The way Jesus constructs the parable, it was it was the greatest celebration imaginable. A king prepared a wedding banquet for his son, and you are invited. That's the way Jesus is presenting it. Interesting that Jesus doesn't really feature the bride and groom, but the importance of the celebration itself. He says the kingdom of heaven is like the greatest celebration imaginable, thrown by the wealthiest person imaginable for the most honorable person imaginable. So this is, you can't top it. This is, this is the greatest of all celebrations. And he wants us, he wants to capture the best one can possibly conceive to show what the kingdom of heaven, what salvation is like. Verse 3 tells us about the extending of the invitations. Look at at verse 3. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. The king sends 
to those who have been invited, which means this was, this was, these were not last-minute invitations. They'd been invited some time before. And now it's time for the banquet. And so the servants are sent out to remind the people to come to the banquet. This greatest celebration of all. Come. And what do they do? They tell their servants what? We're not coming. We're not coming. Jesus puts this little twist to the parable as he often does in parables. Refusing to come just, just boggles the mind. What do you mean you're not going to go? Have any of you ever been invited to the White House? Back in the, I grew up in Arlington, Virginia, and back in the 50s, uh, I was invited to the White House. In fact, there, a lady in our church worked at the White House, was a secretary for years, I don't know how many years, through all kinds of administration. And she made arrangements somehow for the kids in the church to come to the White House. And so we went to the White House. Did I go to the White House? You bet your life I went to the White House. I mean, this is the only time I could ever get behind the scenes. I mean, you can take the tour, but I mean, invited to the inner places of the White House. And we saw things that the tourists don't see. Yes, I went to the White House. Invited by the king to the son's wedding, anybody would go. This is, this is an unbelievable response. What? You're not going? Why aren't you going? Well, a number of reasons, I think. Number one, they're, in terms of they're, they're, they're not going, they're, they're, they're spurning the, 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 an honor that the king is granting. You know, it's one thing not to accept an invitation to the White House. That's that's, that's fine. I mean, you're not, there's not going to be a problem with that. But to spurn the invitation to a king, a Middle Eastern monarch, that's not something to blink an eye at. You might lose your head. Several days of free royal food, that's nothing to blink at. That would be a wonderful thing. You're living off the king. And he mentions here the animals that have been slaughtered, the things that have been prepared. Probably the worst thing is not, in not accepting the invitation is getting on the, back, the bad side of the king, though. The king's not going to like it. So what does the king do? Look at verse 4. Again, he sends other servants saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. He reiterates the invitation. Well, how do they respond this time? Verse 5. But they paid no attention. Went off. One to his farm. Another to his business. In other words, they made light of the invitation this time. Paid no attention in Greek can be translated unconcerned, indifferent. Oh, big deal. The king's invited me to his son's wedding. Who cares? Went off to the field. Business as usual. Go back to the store. An incredible response. How can a person react this way to the king? We're not coming to your grand and glorious celebration. We're, we're, going, we're going out to the field. We're going back to the store. We've got better things to do. Such selfish, ignorant responses. Such a, 
such a forfeiture of joy and celebration. Such an insult to the king. An invitation like this was the highest honor possible. And think that's bad. Look at verse 6. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. It's almost as if the parable's gone off the deep end at this point, isn't it? They actually killed the servants of the king? I mean, it's one thing to go back to the store, but to grab the servants and kill them, it's beyond comprehension. Obviously, they're rebelling against the king. This is not going to turn out very well. Well, the point is clear. Who's the king? God's the king. Who's his son? The Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. What's he doing? He's calling people to honor the son. Feast with the son. And who are those who have been invited and are now being called? God's people Israel. God's people Israel. John 1.11. He came unto his own, and his own, what? Received him not. Received him not. The Old Testament prophets predicted the same thing. Hosea 11.1. 1, a, a verse that makes me weep every time I read it. When Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt I called my son, but the more I called, the further they went away from me. Israel was God's beloved possession. They became the cradle of the truth. They gave the world the law, the prophets, the writings, Messiah, salvation. And who were the servants calling Israel to the banquet? The prophets, the teachers of the law, the preachers of old. And what did the people do? They treated some with indifference and others they abused and murdered. Indifference and hostility were the two main reactions to the gospel throughout the Old Testament period. Secularism is indifference to the claims of Christ, trapped by the farm, the office, the wide world of sports. I just can't, I just don't have time. I, I, I can't go. Finding satisfaction in gain and in diversion on the other side of the false religions and the false religionists, outright hostility to Christ as we see in our world today. Who's taking the brunt of it there in the, in the Middle East? The Christians. The Christians. They killed Christ. And they continue to kill. So this parable is telling us that when God sent His Son, He called His people to a glorious celebration. And they responded both with passive indifference and active hostility. Number two in your outline, the rejectors punished. So what did the king do? Verse 7. The king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. The king had been so benevolent, so kind, so generous. 
He had sent out invitations. He followed up with more invitations. Personal reminders, as it were. Verse 3, he sent his servants. Verse 4, he sent some more. The point is, the king showed mercy and kindness and grace and compassion and forgiveness and patience. Indeed, the king is so gracious, calling again and again. But now, in the wake of such continual rejection, it's time, the time has come for judgment. And the king's patience has a limit, has an end. They've killed his benevolent messengers, and righteousness must mete out justice. What does he do? Verse 7, he sends out his armies, he sends out his troops, and, quote, destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Murderers paid with their life. We struggle with this issue in our day-to-day, this issue of capital punishment, but the Bible is so clear that murderers forfeit their, their right their, their, for their crime, their right to life for their crime. This is a very dramatic picture that Jesus is painting here. And why does he do it? Verse 8, look at verse 8. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Not worthy, not deserving. Why? Because they didn't accept the invitation. They wouldn't respond. It has nothing to do with moral virtue, as it's so clear in the passage. Verse 10, the bad and good are called. Notice that. It's not just the good who are invited. What makes these people deserving to come to the banquet is not some self-designated worthiness, but simply saying yes. Simply saying yes. Such an important point. They outright refuse to come to the wedding feast of the Son of the living God. There's a limit to God's patience, and they'd reach the limit. Back in chapter 21, verse 43, in the prior parable, Jesus had said, The kingdom of God is taken from you and given to a people who produce its fruit. It's taken from you. It's it's given to a people that appreciate it. God has so blessed Israel to call them His chosen, and yet they rejected their Messiah. And their city would be burned. And what happened 40 years after Jesus said this? Titus Vespasian came to Jerusalem, the city of God, the city where God built his dwelling place, as it were, and murdered 1.1 million Jews, Josephus says. Burned it to the ground. Burned it to the ground. Those who reject the Son, God rejects. Point three. In the outline, new invitations extended. So what does the king do? Verse 9. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. Verse 10. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. The wedding banquet was ready. But no one comes, so the servant sent to the street corners, to the byways, to the roads, wherever, and wherever he can find people and and compels them to come. Bring in anybody who is willing to come. Go, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The Great Commission. 
Paul told the Romans, The fall of Israel is the rising of many. And since the first century, what? The church has been largely made up of those who were non-Jews. In the meantime, God has sent his messengers to the highways and to the byways to bid everybody to come. And I often think about this. Here we are in North America today. The gospel has penetrated the other, the other side of the world. Indeed, the continent of Africa and Asia and the whole world. The gospel has gone forward. The feast will go on regardless of who comes is the point. Verse 10 tells us the hall is filled with guests. Good guests and bad guests. What in the world does that mean? Well... What a truth that is. You know, we, we judge people on earth as good and bad. Criminals are bad, I'm good. You know, we measure ourselves by the worst. But when it comes to calling people to the kingdom, who can come? All. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Praise God is right. I remember being, a, being on a team when, we, when I was living in Chicago at Moody Bible Institute going going to the, uh, the, uh, the West Chicago Mission is what it was. And I'll, I was 17 years old. I was just a kid myself. And here are these men, these hardened men who looked at me and, and started. some of them started to weep because they had a child like my age. And, and they knew that what they had done had, had, had done it. That was the end. And I'll never forget talking to some of these men as you know, they, give it, they gave an invitation, the men would come down for whatever reason to trust Christ, whatever, I don't know. But they'd come down maybe to get a handout, and sometimes they'd want money, that, that sort of thing. But they were too hard, they were too bad for God to ever save them. I've done too much. No, the good and the bad. God's not looking for moral people. He calls all, Romans 10, 13, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. To the Corinthians, Paul said this in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, Do you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, Thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, they won't inherit the kingdom of God. But it doesn't end there. Listen to this. And such were some of you. But what? But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. God sanctifies, God justifies, God washes the filthiest heart, the filthiest soul, and brings that individual to himself. Number four, the strangers expelled. You finally have in verses 11 and 12, the strangers expelled. Look at verse 11, but when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. What did Jesus mean? The man didn't have proper attire. What's he talking about? He's out of place. He's not supposed to be there. 
The king sees him in verse 11. He can't hide. He goes to him, verse 12. He says, how did you get in here? No excuses. Nothing to say. He's speechless. How did he get in? No, well, no doubt he thought I can go in the way I want to go in. I can go in any way I want. I can go in with my baggage. I can go in with my sin. I'll wear what I want to wear. All marks of pride and self-will and arrogance and selfishness. I deserve to be here. I don't need any invitation. You know, do you know who I am? So what does the king do? Verse 13. The king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot, cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Tie him up so he won't try to come back in. Outside is darkness, weeping, gnashing of teeth, great regret, great sadness. What this is saying, there are people that attempt to crash God's kingdom, that, that, that think that just because they go to church, just because they wear a, a suit and a tie or whatever it might be, just because they're Presbyterians or Baptist or whatever else, that they're God's chosen or they're God's people. I can go any way I want. Hold on. We don't go any way we want. These are those that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 7 who say, Lord, Lord, haven't we performed miracles in your name? Haven't we done wonders? Haven't we cast out demons? Haven't we prophesied in your name? And what is Jesus' response? Depart from me, I never knew you. These are the weeds among the wheat. There's proper clothing to enter the kingdom of God. Listen to Matthew 5.20, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of God. What is the proper clothing? Righteousness. Righteousness. The Pharisees, you see, were clothed with self-righteousness, works righteousness, false righteousness. The proper clothing is the righteousness that the Father dispenses. Isaiah 61.10, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in God. For He has clothed me with the garments of salvation, arrayed me in the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and a bride adorns herself with jewels. He has clothed me. He has arrayed me. The proper attire for the wedding banquet is the robe of righteousness, which... He gives in accordance with His will and His wondrous grace. You know, there's some subtle irony here. Yesterday it was Israel who was guilty of not responding. And today, sadly to say, the church doesn't respond. To our shame, there's multitudes of people that, who hang around, who want to belong, who show up and yet have never been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Have never, in the sense of the parable, accepted the invitation. Have never trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. How do you get the clothes of righteousness? Well, listen to 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him 
we might become the righteousness of God. When we come in simple saving faith to Jesus Christ, the Son, repenting of our sin, God clothes us with His righteousness. It's never my righteousness. It's never my righteousness. It's always what God has vested me with, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I stand in Him complete. And that is our robe. The only wedding garment that God accepts. Jesus closes with verse 14. So so crucial. Many are called, but few are chosen. The invitation goes out to all. The invitation goes out to all. All, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I had a person one time, God's not addressing me. He's not talking about me. He's talking about somebody else. No, the invitation, the command to repent goes out to all. All are commanded to come to Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and what? You might be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved, you and your house, Paul told the Philippian jailer. This word chosen introduces us, of course, to the sovereignty of God. People respond to the invitation, the Bible tells us, because God from the foundation of the world has chosen them to salvation. That's a marvelous thing. And the, and, 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 the, and, the, and the statement can never be made, well, I wasn't chosen, so I'm not coming. No, the invitation goes out to all. The command to repent goes out to all. It's not really an invitation. It's a command. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you believed? Have you trusted Him? Are you resting on somebody else that got an invitation and you're thinking that you're going to get into the banquet because... You're just going to go on their bootstraps or whatever? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I trust you have. I pray you have. That's my prayer. That everybody in here this morning has settled that matter with with God. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What a privilege to be invited to the greatest celebration of all. And, the, and, to, think, and to think that the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus doesn't even go there in this parable. The Lord Jesus Christ is the bridegroom. And who's the bride? Us. His church. His people. To think that you and I are the bride of Christ. May God speak to us through his word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this marvelous truth that you have not only invited us, but you've chosen us from the foundation of the world to make us holy and blameless in your sight. Lord, what a, what a privilege, what a privilege. Father, I pray that every man, every woman, every boy, every girl here this morning has settled that matter with you in their own hearts, that they know you, the only God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Thank you for loving us enough to give us your word. Now, 
Father, go with us as we go from here, and may we rejoice in the great salvation that you have accomplished, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.